everyone. Welcome to Sunday service on this glorious fall day. This morning's topic, which I'll read from the rays of the one light, is in surrender lies victory. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. A case might be made for surrender as a path to victory in worldly conflicts. The way of passive resistance, for example, is in preference to armed resistance. But our point here concerns a higher kind of surrender, the surrender of our deluded, egoic will to the wise and almighty will of God. Human will is as Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, guided by whims and limited understanding. 
The divine will is in harmony with every level of reality. Though the divine will sometimes appears to us at first to be wrong, it proves always, eventually, to be for our highest good. Human will is inconsistent. It leads us one day to success, another to disaster. The divine will, when we surrender to it completely, though it is not always easy to do so, always brings us deeper inner peace and joy in the end. Jesus Christ demonstrated this perfect surrender to God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was captured and imprisoned, preparatory to his crucifixion. He went apart from the others to pray and asked them to pray also, but when he returned to them, he found them asleep. Out of his love for them, he excused them, saying, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He then urged them again, saying, Watch and pray. Their weakness in those circumstances was particularly sad, and the disciples themselves must have regretted it bitterly later on. We all know the symptoms of human weakness, though we may excuse them in ourselves, saying, well, after all, I'm only human. But what are the signs of true strength? We find in all cases that those are the fruit of a life lived wholly in surrender to God. The Bhagavad Gita lists, lists these signs in the 13th chapter. Humbleness, truthfulness and harmlessness, patience and honor, reverence for the wise, purity, constancy, control of self, contempt for self-delights, self-sacrifice, perception of the certainty of ill in birth, old age, and frail mortality, disease, the ego's suffering, and sin, detachment, lightly holding the thought of home, children, and wife, those ties which bind most men, an ever-tranquil heart, heedless of good or adverse fortune, with the will upraised to worship me alone, unceasingly, loving deep solitude and shunning noise of foolish crowds, calm focus on the self, perceived within and in infinity. These qualities reveal true wisdom, Prince. All that is otherwise is ignorance. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh. also like to welcome you all to Sunday service. For those of you who are new and don't know us, my name is Naya Swami Devi, and this is Naya Swami Jyotish. And we especially want to uh, extend our welcome to those who have been with us for the first time this week, and we hope you had a wonderful time. It's, um, it's always first-timers week at Ananda. <laughs> 
Okay, so I'm going to begin our Sunday service talk by reading from Yogananda's book of prayer poems, Whispers from Eternity. And this one is entitled, Demand Not to Be Enslaved by the Ego or by Ego-Centered Passivity. I want to use my own will, but guided ever, Father, toward the golden paradise of all fulfillment. For I would be infinity's smiling child, confident of being imprisoned no longer behind bars of fruitless desire and withered hopes. I would break the shameful cords of lethargy that have presumed to hold me and step fearlessly into freedom. Released, I now blaze my way through forests of every limitation and delusion. Oh, my little vain ego may strut proudly, saying, Behold my glory, worship me, but I will look through its transparent form and behold thine unimaginable beauty, clothed in the subtle form of the whole universe. The silence-tuned hearing of my soul will ignore that tiny boasting masquerader, my little self impersonating thee, and will listen rapturously to the wind-borne, fragrant music of thine own matchless voice whispering across the ages, I am he. Well, this topic in Surrender Lies Victory is a very interesting one, and in a way central to the whole of spiritual growth and evolution. And as Swami started out in his reading, we usually think of surrender and victory primarily in military terms. And uh, we think, I was just recalling, there's so many great paintings of, you know, Lee surrendering to Grant at Appomattox Courthouse and Napoleon surrendering and on and on. You think of these great generals who have been defeated and they've gotten, had all this will and, you know, this great global upheaval and then they were defeated and they had to surrender. And the other side has victory. But, you know, it's interesting. When you look at, when you study history or look at these great paintings, Lee and Grant at Appomattox, you look and said, who won? You know, they both look like in that kind of conflict, both sides lose. And on a higher level, both sides win. But when we're talking about spiritual surrender and victory, it's on a whole other realm. Nobody loses. Everybody wins. And most importantly, the soul wins in spiritual surrender. And I think a better way to think about this paradigm of surrender and victory is to think in terms of it as expansion to a higher level of consciousness. That's what surrender is. It's not closing down, okay, I give up, I surrender. That's an, even in spiritual, in the spiritual life, in spiritual training, that's an old form. You know, you, you, we've all seen these movies or maybe 
we've experienced it ourselves of, you know, the stern nun or the mother superior or the brutal head monk in the monastery and making us do things. And the poor little novice just sort of, you know, gets crushed and says, okay, okay, I surrender. I'll plant the carrots upside down or I'll, you know, wash the floor with a toothbrush or whatever it is, you know, he just, but in this age we're moving into where religion is taking on a whole new understanding of what it means to be a spiritual person. It's not about being beaten down, but it's about expansion. It's about expansion to a greater reality. That's what true surrender is. It's having the courage to open up to something more than what you are now. We, uh, Bharat shared a wonderful story with a group of us recently that, um, I want, that was very pertinent to our topic today. He was saying that a friend of his was a teacher uh, in the Southwest, a grade school teacher. And in, his, in this class he was teaching, was quite young children, there were a number of children from the Navajo tradition. And the teacher asked them to draw a picture of themselves. And the children that were not from the children that had been raised in, one might say, a typical American family or so forth, they drew a picture of themselves. And it, it mainly, they took up the whole picture. They had their little stick legs and the big round body and the hair and the head and the arms with the fingers. And they were young kids. But he noticed that all the Navajo children, it was quite different. Their part of the picture was themselves in the picture was very little. And then behind them were the mountains and the canyon walls and the desert washes dried out. And they were just a part of something bigger. And what a wonderful training to get that from early on, that our little perspective is just a part of something so much greater. And he went on, Bharat also shared a story that, you know, in classrooms, we've all been there when the teacher asks a question, they go, oh, I know, I know, oh, call on me, call on me. And they said if the teacher would call on one of the students and they wouldn't know the answer in the Navajo tradition, none of the other students would raise their hand because they didn't want to make that student feel bad. I thought that was so beautiful that they would just all, and the teacher couldn't figure out, are these kids not learning? Are they not teachable? But they had this sense of interconnectedness, like my little ego, as it said in that passage, my worship me, look how important I am. And um, I often wondered uh, what happens to those kids in your class. Uh, I mean, when I was in third grade or second grade, whatever, the kids said always, oh, call on me, call on me. What happens to those people, you know? <laughs> it's like, where did they go in life? I mean, what? Because... Everybody knew that was unpleasant, but <laughs> anyway, moving right along. So this sense of surrender as being expansion and to say, I have the courage to think of myself as part of something much bigger than I am right now. Um, a number, about two years ago, Swami Kriyananda, who is Ananda's founder and our teacher for many, many years, he gave us the gift of, he started a new renunciate order, the Naya Swami order. And if you see many people wearing blue, it's because they've taken those vows. 
And one of the lines that I actually had to be perfectly honest with you, I had a really hard time with at first. It was, I no longer exist as a separate entity, but offer my life unreservedly into thy great ocean of awareness. And it wasn't, I mean, I've been part of a spiritual training for many years, and I, I know that's true, I know that's right, but on a very deep gut level, whenever I would inwardly repeat those vows to myself, when I would get to the part, I no longer exist as a separate entity, I felt some part of my consciousness recoil from that. I can't go there. I don't want to go there. I still, I want to exist as a separate entity. And then when I moved it out forward, but offer myself unreservedly to thy great ocean of awareness, I thought, yes, I can do that. And so it, it doesn't matter what I am as a separate entity, but what I like is this feeling that there's something of, a great ocean of awareness. Wow, I'd like to be a part of that. That's much bigger than what I know right now. And so to willingly, we need to understand that surrender in, isn't never can be as it is in the military sense by external force. Surrender has to be an act of joyful willingness. I want this. I don't want to be limited by um, the little vain ego that struts around, that Swami said, and that our Master said, worship me, look how wonderful I am. I want to be something more than that. And I willingly surrender all the little parts of me so that I can be something more. There's a, a wonderful, one of the great world epics that has been handed down for millennia from India is an epic called the Mahabharata. The, and Maha means great, Bharat is, means light, so it's the great light. And the Bhagavad Gita, with which most of us are more familiar, is just a, a very small excerpt from the Mahabharata. But our Guru Yoganandaji uh, interpreted the Gita and aspects of the Mahabharata, he gave a symbolic interpretation that no other spiritual teacher had, has done before. And I'm not saying this in a sectarian sense, like our teacher really knew the best, but he did give an interpretation that no one else had ever done before. And that was to look at all the characters in the Mahabharata as symbols, as aspects of part of the human consciousness. And when you read the Gita and the Mahabharata in that way, it's thrilling because you recognize in yourself all these complex and varied characters. My God, they're just a part of me. But one character, very interesting, Bhishma. He's, he was the grandsire, and because of some austerities in his early life, he was granted the boon that he would never die unless he chose to, unless it was by his own will. And he was a great warrior. The Mahabharata is a story of a great battle. And here's where the two things come together, because we were talking about the difference between the military surrender and the spiritual surrender. In the Mahabharata, these great sages of India brought them together. And Bhishma was 
the grandsire, the grandfather of these two warring aspects of one family. So it's the conflict within ourselves, the light and the dark. And he trained all of them. They were uh, all of the warriors when they were young boys in the military arts. But he, so he's a great warrior. But Yogananda said he represents the ego. And the ego can only die when it chooses to, when it willingly surrenders. And there's this extremely uh, vivid scene, you can just see it in your mind's eye, of at the end uh, when it, Bhishma is riddled with arrows and he's lying down on, his, on a bed of arrows sticking in his back and maybe that's where the you know, this tradition of yogis lying on beds of nails. I don't know, maybe that's where it comes from. But anyway, Bhishma is lying there on, a, on his body riddled with arrows and giving a discourse on the, the, right, the rightness of military procedure. And it was only at a certain moment where he said, now it is time, and he willingly chooses to die. So Yoganandaji said, that's our ego. We were, the ego, I mean, nobody can live in this world without getting filled with the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as Shakespeare said. And so we're all, life beats us up. Nobody's free of that. But it's only when we get to the point, as Yogananda said so poignantly, of when we begin to look at life with a sense of anguishing monotony, how many times do I win, do I lose, do I gain, do I uh, recede? How many times? And it never ends. It can never end. Because in the realm of duality, which this world is, Maya rules supreme. Delusion rules. And we cannot make real gains in this world. I mean, you can amass all the wealth, all the fortune, all the power, all, everything. And you can build a big fortress around yourself. Napoleon tried, Hitler tried, a lot of people tried. But what, at the end, even if no one else takes it away from you, the final arbiter death will take it away from you. And so in the end, we can never win in this world of Maya. But in the world of spirit, there is victory. There's a wonderful line in the Gita that just, I love Bhagavad Gita, where the Lord says to, the Lord in the form of Krishna says to Arjuna, his disciple, for those who worship me, I make permanent their gains and enhance their deficits. So, and that's, but that's on the spiritual level. He's not talking about being their incredible financial advisor. <laughs> He's talking about spiritually, I will enhance your gains, I will make permanent your gains, and I will bulwark up your deficits. That is the only plane we can find victory on, because the rest of it is shifting sands. There's no way we can find permanent, lasting, value in this world of shifting sands. But then when we, I'd like, it, coming back to this theme of victory, or excuse me, surrender 
being expansion of awareness. Let's look at this in different aspects and how it would play itself out. So first let's think about surrender, expansion, leading to uh, expansion of awareness, leading to ultimate victory. Let's think of this in terms of the reality globally or internationally. If countries, if warring, if different nations in this world, rather than coming together and fighting, if they could find a common, expand their awareness so that there was a commonality. That's what happened for, we look at the history of uh, the American colonies. They just saw themselves as very separate, distinct realities. And yet, when they came, there's that, the first American flag was that snake all chopped up in little pieces. And they realized, united we stand, divided we fall. And they realized that by seeing the commonality, they could join together and have victory over the British uh, who were there, who considered themselves the colonialists. I'm, I was reading a book recently that someone gave me about, um, fascinating book, about uh, colonial, uh, when the, Brit the, British, the British Raj in India. And it was the story, the story just lasted a few years, true story, diaries of a woman who was married to a political officer, who was a British officer in charge of Tibet, Bhutan, and Sikkim in the early 30s. And it was the most amazing story because here there are these traditions that go on for, you know, that thousands of years, the culture of Tibet and Bhutan, Sikkim. And the British come, this man and his wife and a few aides, and they say, ah, we're in charge here. And, and the people just kind of go along with it, you know, and they just tell them what to do. But anyway, if there could be this expansion of awareness where, and the United Nations tries to do it, but the consciousness has to change, where people see and are wanting to surrender their individuality as nations and say, what do we have in common? Not what are our what divides us and what are we fighting over? What territorial line makes it important that I get this and you get that? And so expanding to see commonality, if we could do that, what would be the victory there? The victory would be that there would be a united world. Master said, our guru said, there would, eventually there will be, he said this in the 30s, 1930s, there would be a United States of Europe which they're struggling to maintain. I mean, when you read the history of Germany or Italy, they started out as these little city-states. They, they were killing each other. It wasn't a sense of a national unity. And now we've gone beyond that. So if we could move to a common, if the countries could surrender, but this is my language and this is my currency and this is my political aims, and say, what do we have in common? Then the victory would be a world without war, a unity of vision. And Yogananda said this would be, he said there will be a United States of Europe, eventually United States of Asia, and finally a United States of the world. I don't think in our lifetime, but it will happen. It will happen. It has to happen because mankind is evolving 
so that he doesn't see the divisions. Well, what on an in, on a so that's on a global level, and you know, our cooperative communities. Yogananda started these. This was part of his vision: world brotherhood colonies, and what they are trying to be is a little microcosm, a little showing how it's possible that people can cooperate. So the schools aren't in competition with the gardens, and the garden isn't in competition with Master's Market, but we're all trying to see what works for everybody. How can we find, how can we break down the sense of separateness and surrender to, with faith and devotion to say, you know, if I think about the good of everybody, it's all enhanced. Everything is lifted up and grows. So then on an individual level, what does this surrender look like? Expansion if and victory. If we could look at all of our interactions with other people and expand to say, my goal is not to be right, not to get my way, not to be important, but my goal is harmony. Once a woman who had a very hard time getting along with other people asked Swami Kriyananda, aren't I in tune? And meaning, aren't I, you know, a good disciple? And he gave her such a kind and wise answer. He said, attunement is harmony. And so in our dealings with other individuals, if we can expand and say, what is their point of view? What would make them happy? Not what do I want from the situation? When I was a little girl, I had the very good fortune of having a wise woman for a mother. And when I would come home as a little child and maybe somebody had been mean to me or teased me or made me cry, and I would come home and, you know, most parents react and say, oh, I'm going to call that parent and on and on. My mother always, and much to my dismay, because I didn't like it at the time, but she would sit me down and she would say, let's try to understand that other person, why they would do that. And it was fantastic training, because it really got me out of <coughs> poor me. And, and when I've tried to understand the other person, ultimately, what do you get? is compassion and understanding and acceptance. And so on an individual level, if we can, expansion of consciousness, the surrender leads to harmony. And then ultimately, the victory in that is you feel a unity with all life. I, I was looking at the picture on the hallway as we were entering of the Dalai Lama. And I, there was a quote of his that I just loved in its humility and its wisdom. He said, I don't think of myself as anyone special, but I have a special connection with the Tibetan people. And that's all. I feel one with them. And that's why he's a perfect leader, because he doesn't see himself as important, but a unity with all individuals. And it's a wonderful gauge, a yardstick, to measure all of your behavior when you find yourself in a defensive position, in an offensive, offensive position, that's the realm of 
the ego, the military defensiveness. I remember some years ago we were having a big community celebration and there were a group of adults playing volleyball and they were getting real aggressive and they were slamming it and smashing it. And, and it was, you know, sports are, you know, it's a reflection of military activity. <laughs> and, and then I noticed over on the side there were a group of our young karma yogis, young adults, and they were dancing. And they were having, I was watching them, I thought, who's having more fun? I thought, those guys, the guys that are dancing are having much more fun than the guys who are smashing each other in the face with the volleyball. But, so, finally, and the most important level, and I'll close with this, of this paradigm of surrender, expansion, victory, is on a spiritual level. Because when we expand our awareness from the little self. And for those of us who have lived a spiritual life, have tried to do this, it's not easy. It's in a way the most challenging, demanding thing when anyone can undertake to say, I give up the little self. But if we can, just as I was saying, I don't want to not exist as a separate entity. I want to exist. And then when I say, you know, I've been there. I've done that. I've enjoyed it. I've had my time as a little separate entity. And now I'm kind of done with it. And I'd like to be part of something more, of, a, of an expanded consciousness. So the expansion is allowing yourself to be a part of a greater reality. And the victory, ultimately, is union with God. And so that is the, core, the story of each of our lives, really. We walk different paths. We come from different backgrounds, different experiences, not just this lifetime, but many lifetimes. But at the end, it all comes down to that same moment. Some years ago, there were some miner, there was a big mining company, a gold mining company that wanted to start doing gold mining in this area again. And so there was a lot of uh, environmental resistance and they invited a group of us to watch the mining operation to show that it would not be disturb the environment. And so they took us out to, I don't remember where it was. I just remember a lot of rocks. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the diggings, it was someplace else. And they had these big, they'd, Flood, they had these gravel beds that they had flooded water in, and they had these big machines that dredged up the gravel, and then it put it on these conveyor belts, and then it shook it down and shook it down and shook it down. And finally, and I am not making this up, at the very end, I mean, hundreds of thousand dollars of equipment, at the very end, there was this old grizzled guy with a beard and an old hat and a flannel shirt, and an old gold miner, and he had a gold pan. And he was going like that, and that's how they did it. I mean, that was the end of the whole thing. But that was the distillation of, and, and it's the same with us on the spiritual life. We're all these little rocks and pebbles. We get dredged up, if we're lucky, by the guru, thrown into the tumbler, going down this conveyor belt, that conveyor belt, crushed and beaten up. And then at the end, it's that point of looking in the gold pan and just saying, 
we're all come to the same point. Where is the gold of my soul? And that's what I go for. Everything else I walk away from, I surrender, I leave behind. And that is what it means to be a spiritual hero. God bless you. Thine is thine. Oh.